Hey, hey, thanks for finding the What Had Happened Was podcast. I'm Amelia Robinson from Dayton.com, and I have an episode filled with historical chills and thrills in a city that was walled. I sat down for a chat with local librarian extraordinaire Nancy Horlacher of the Dayton Metro Library. Nancy is more Google than Google. Trust that one. She conjured up tales about the Frankenstein castle, alligators raised in a Dayton wonderland, how the great flood brought down Dayton's wall city. You probably didn't know there was a wall city. And the phantom driver of the Inglewood Dam. We also get into why Dayton is the gem city, which is a, is a very controversial thing. I think you're going to like this show a lot, especially you history buffs out there. You can help me continue to tell these great Dayton stories in a couple ways. You can subscribe to the What Had Happened Was podcast, rate us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you find podcasts. You can also tell your friends about the What Had Happened Was podcast or and join Cox Digital Marketing and becoming a sponsor. Bring on the walled city. Let's do it. So what's like the strangest thing somebody's asked you? I can't even think of that, but our most asked question is, why is Dayton called the Gem City? Oh, do you have an answer to that? Well, there are upwards of four answers and no <laughs> definitive answer. The most probable answer is that a, the Cincinnati Chronicle in the 1850s did a story and they called Dayton the gem of our interior towns. That stuck, and there was a racehorse from Dayton named Gem, and even the, a far-fetched idea is some connection with a diamond mine in Africa. Huh. So there is no definitive answer. See, the one I heard was the one the Cincinnati writer coined, and I also heard that it had something to do with Cincinnati being the queen city. Ah. But I don't know if that's true or not. And then we're like the, the gem in the queen's crown or something. Well, we are. We are better than Cincinnati. <laughs> no offense, Cincinnati. No, but <laughs> we have the most interesting history of any small town. Um, and we're not a small town. We're a medium-sized town. And one time they had more patents than any other town for inventing things. And that was due to General Motors and Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and NCR and our other big industries, me, different ones that who have been here over the years. Other interesting things, too, like the Wright Brothers and Paula and uh-huh. Stunbar, and we just have our share of wonderful things. Yeah, I've bothered you so much throughout the years I've been here, and I really appreciate all your help and all the history pieces. So thank you for coming in. Well, glad to help, and it's wonderful to be here today. So thanks for asking me to come and talk about Dayton history. Now, I'm going to ask you something, Nancy. And sure. This is going to be like kind of weird coming to a person who loves history. What had happened was, and that's the name of the show, so I always ask that question, what had happened was. Okay. You have to start it with, what had happened was. Oh, well, what had happened was out in Hilsendales Park, there's a tower out there. It's called the Patterson Tower. It's called the Witch's Tower. It's called the Frankenstein Castle. It's called maybe 10 things, and that's where high schoolers would meet and go into this tower and explore and that was like a hangout place especially in the summer one summer a terrible rainstorm with lightning came up suddenly teens from bellbrook ran inside to get out of the storm well there were metal staircases and railings and lightning struck the castle and a lightning 
came down the stairway and it electrocuted the girl and the young man was uh, sent to the hospital. Oh, and wow. I don't recall what year it was. I think it was the 60s, possibly. People th- say that that is haunted. Also, we have wonderful haunted stories in Dayton. I love to tell them. Yeah, I think you have one of the funner jobs in town because your job is to like do research. Well, actually, explain what your job is. Okay, my job title is Local History Librarian for the Dayton Metro Library System. And um, the questions that have come to me over the years are from soup to nuts. They're okay. everything. I don't retain the information as much as I know how to find the information when somebody needs some information about Dayton history. So what are your favorite stories? I like to talk about the soldier's home, okay. what we call the VA now, but the National Military Home for Disabled Soldiers. And I want to talk about it because it was a destination for out-of-town people to come here and stay in their hotel and eat at their restaurant and have a wonderful day on the grounds. If you took the streetcar out or the train out to Soldier's Home, Gettysburg and 3rd Street, Uh in the late 1800s, you would see lots of wonderful things. First of all, when you walked in, you'd stand on a hill that was the quarry for the soldiers' home. And when you say a soldier home, you mean actually soldiers from the, the war. The Civil War, yes. Were they from here originally, or did they come no, here? No, they came from even foreign countries, Amelia. Um, when Lincoln passed the Act of Congress to create soldiers' homes for disabled veterans, okay. he signed in three, three soldiers' homes. There's one in Maine. There's one in Wisconsin, and we are the central soldier's home. How'd they pick Dayton? Well, um, Dayton came up with $20,000 to buy a big piece of land and offered that to the government. And they accepted that, and we had a deal, and they came to build here. They opened the home two years after the Civil War ended in 1867. And uh, and that was like kind of the first time they had these sort of homes because they didn't have homes like this during like no. any other war. Um, people ask me, were Confederate soldiers allowed in these homes? Mm-hmm. And the answer was no. They had their own homes in the South then, um, but it was for Union soldiers. When you came onto the grounds, you would overlook things like a mound with a butterfly in flowers on one side. And on the other side was a tiger made out of flowers. Then you could walk. What? Yes. Wow. And there are beautiful images of these. It was like very elaborate stuff. Yes. And the gardens were um, beautiful. They were all over the center, but mostly at the entrance and such. There was a couple lily ponds. Really? And there was a grotto with lush green vegetation and a waterfall. And recently, the Master Gardeners program um, redid the grotto. So I really encourage people to drive out and drive the grounds. There are so many wonderful things to see there. So why did they do, why did they do so much and not just make it like an old folks home, basically? Well, they decided they wanted the veterans to feel like this was a home of their own, not an almshouse or um, a a residence like an old folks home, but 
they had so many things going on at the home. They had entertainment in Memorial Hall. That was called Memorial Hall there before our Memorial Hall. And they had every night band concerts, every night in the summer. Even John Philip Sousa came here as a guest conductor. Oh, wow. Um, Sarah Bernhardt, the actress, she appeared at the Soldier's Home Memorial Hall in a presentation. Um, we were at the quarry when we walked in, and the men themselves quarried stone because they weren't all disabled. Right. It was right after the war, Correct. so they were been still kind of fit. And, of course, the yeah. hospital was the main thing. But um, when you said, you know, why did they build it this way, uh, they wanted the men to feel like they lived on their own streets they had they were set up like avenues and to have everything as close to them being at home as possible so they had a library called the Putnam Library which is still there they quarried the stone Mm -hmm. for the first church ever built by the United States government really and it's called the home chapel and And it's still restored and beautiful and it's still there they still use it as a church yes huh it's very interesting. And so now they're revitalizing some of the things that made the soldier's home beautiful and great. That's, um, that's a fun thing. And what they had for entertainment. So this was a destination where you could stay in the hotel. You can eat at the restaurant. You could bring your picnic lunch and take the streetcar back. Or um, while you're there, see a performance, see a band concert, and see what wildlife they had out there they had swans and geese on the pond they stocked the ponds with fish they had a monkey house a monkey house a monkey house and that monkey house is still over on the grounds and easy to see it's not necessarily where the monkeys were at the time but it's still there so they may restore that too they also had a deer park that had 50 to 60 deer in it they had a bird aviary. Oh, wow. So were they hunting a deer or were the deer just like there to be enjoyed? No, they were there like a petting zoo, except oh, I don't cool. know if you could actually pet, pet it. Yeah, I wouldn't pet a deer. <laughs> but my favorite <laughs> of all the animals, they had an alligator pond with giant, like real alligators. adult alligators that fenced in, of course, and their pond was heated, but they even had baby alligators in a nursery. And we have a lovely picture of the baby alligators and uh, little tiny alligators that were born there. And they would just use them as like pets or? No, it was like an interesting thing to see. Like a, like a, like like a, a zoo, zoo. Like a zoo. Really, yes. Yeah. So, so I wouldn't think you would want to pet an alligator. I don't, I don't <laughs> think so. No, but that those are the most fascinating images of alligators in Dayton, Ohio, Um for people to enjoy. And so people, if they wanted to, they can actually go to the domain library and go check it out. Yeah, we don't have that many books about it, but there are beautiful images. So some of those images are on our image collection called Dayton Remembers. So if you Google Dayton Remembers and put in the search box, Soldier's Home, you will have some images from our collection that are online you can download them to your computer you yeah. can use them you can print them you can hang them in your house anything you want to do because we're the library and we don't charge for those things well cool well, I'll, you know what i'll do i'll just like put i'll like uh, put a link in the story that we're going to write with this podcast so people yeah. can find it easier that would be great yeah.
That's awesome. You were also, we were, when we were talking earlier, you also mentioned like the wall city. And I don't know much about that at all. Like, and a lot of Daytonians don't. If you lived in Old North Dayton, you do. Pardon the interruption. <laughs> Just breaking through the wall real quick to remind you that you are listening to the What Had Happened Was podcast. Don't know if you knew this or not, but this show is produced and edited and recorded and all that good stuff in the awesome studios of WHIO Radio, which of course is your source for breaking news, weather, and traffic. So many excellent shows are produced here. The What Had Happened Was podcast is sponsored by Cox Digital Marketing. Let this trusted and reliable advertising leader help you find a digital solution that fits your needs. If you like what you hear, please rate us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and all over the podcast universe. Back to the Walled City. This story is about the Kossuth Colony, and it's not, it's a true story. Barney and Smith Car Works was the second largest manufacturer in Dayton. And at one time, they had 2,000 employees, which was second to NCR. And um, so this is a big old company. Big old company at Kiwi and Monument. Barney and Smith were the makers of some of the most elegant railway cars ever. They rivaled Pullman. They were beautiful, and you can see one out at Carillon Historical Park today. But there was a change in industry. They needed the cars to be able to carry a hundred thousand pounds, and the Barney and Smith wooden cars could only carry eighty thousand pounds. So they needed to, the whole industry was changing over to steel okay. to make railroad cars. And Dayton, didn't know, they no longer needed their fine craftsmen to build these beautiful cars because everything was about what could carry the most freight uh-huh. and Efficiency, efficiency, efficiency not and this is progress. So they didn't need these fine workmen. They had, and Dayton at that time, and we're talking about 1906, had full labor. They had to figure a way to get laborers into Dayton to make these steel cars. And they hired a labor broker named Jacob Moskowitz. Okay. And he had already set up the Hungarian colony, the west side of Dayton. So there was actually two Hungarian colonies. There were. The first one was for Dayton Malleable Ironworks. And so he set up a colony. But there were no there was only one walled colony and that was the Kasut colony off of Leo Street and the entrance was at Notre Dame. So when you say wall, you mean there was actually in a wall so they couldn't people couldn't get out. I think it was twelve feet high. Wow. It was wooden. They had a guard at the door. They had two guards patrolling the grounds and they had put ads in newspapers in Hungarian locations to bring these people to Dayton. And And, and from Hungary, not from America. Actually from America, from okay. other parts of where they knew Hungarian colonies were. And they told them about the wonderful labor conditions at Barney and Smith, like a six-day work week. And they told them about the wonderful living conditions. Oh, it was a six-day work week and that was a bonus? That was a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> and they uh, told them about the wonderful living conditions in the colony. Well, Barney and Smith bought 14 acres right where it had sat at Leo and Notre Dame. And they built 40 duplexes. And for $12 a month, you could rent a half of a duplex. So a worker could, like the, let's see, what is the name of the family? The Karina family. They paid the rent for $12, but they also had 11 boarders, men who worked in the company, 
boarded with them. So there were 13 people in one of these half of doubles. So it was like a, a house for how many people it should have been? Well, it was a kitchen and five rooms, and they said they were large size, but I, you know, Come on, it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> and they had um, a coal bin out back, so no indoor plumbing as such for, I don't believe, for... Um, your necessities. Ooh, yeah. Probably got pretty stinky around the back area. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, they took in these boarders and they charged them. So they would be able to pay their rent and have some nice things as So well. basically they have a very small space that they're renting probably on the floor or like a cot or something. I don't know what huh. that would have been like. But those houses are still standing, many of them, Amelia, today. Really? So if you, I mean, I don't want to make you drive over to the neighborhood, but you can see exactly what those houses looked like. And they were small, you know, they mm. weren't large. So you had to work for Barney and Smith to live in there. If you were fired from Barney and Smith, you were immediately evicted from the colony. Wow. And the whole idea of the colony was to provide that labor source for making the steel railway cars. And because the people, the, the people couldn't really do anything else but like stay there, right? No, they could because the, the biggest building inside, other than the houses, was the clubhouse. Okay. The clubhouse had a bar. It had a post office. It had the company store called the North Dayton Company. So you bought your goods and services through the company store with cash or scrip. They had given also brass script. So they had two cash registers. You could either pay in cash or script and buy almost everything you needed inside those walls. So in script, you mean what? Like, It's like... Um, well, they were like brass coins. Oh, so they made their own kind of currency. They made their own currency. Oh, Correct. wow. Correct. Wow. So basically, it was a contained totally, city. Totally, yes. Controlled by Barney and Smith Car Works. Now, were the people happy there, do you think? Or do you have well, any indication that they were kept there, like indentured servants well, almost? Well, let's talk about the newspapers. The Dayton <laughs> Daily News. Those old things, which you love. I love them. I love them. And <laughs> we have them all the way back to 1810. So we have a lot of newspapers. The Dayton Daily championed for the colony people to have more freedom and to be allowed to do what they wanted. And the journal was um, painted a rosier picture of life inside the colony. Oh, really? So, you know, okay. newspapers, and when they're at war on a, a particular uh -huh. issue, you get lots of stories, some true, some not true. But um, what happened to Barney and Smith? to cause them to tear down the wall was an event that happened in 1913. And that was the Dayton flood of 1913. Okay. Floodwaters rose in town. They rose over by Barney and Smith. Their car barn was trashed. Some of the wood that was used in the railroad cars when they were making them out of wood floated down as far as the Gulf of Mexico. Get out of here. And it stamped with the company name. That's wow. the story that goes that there was some wood found down there that it floated, floated down from Barney far. and Smith all the way down. So I don't really think, when you think of the, the uh, flood, I don't think about it um, getting up that far. It did. Wow. It spread out, you know, wherever the lowlands were. And Dayton's in a bowl. Uh -huh. If you go up the hill, Salem, you know, you're going up to uh, the hospital up there. That's uphill. Uphill to Oakwood on the south. Uphill 
to attend Wilmington Place on the east and uphill to the Soldiers' Home on the west. So we are down in a bowl where the confluences of these rivers come together. This was the first, not the first flood for Dayton. Dayton had many, many floods. floods. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh-huh. I don't, I don't. I think Dayton had one that was worse, right? Like there had some. Maybe eighteen sixty six was worse, but yeah. Since then, they have controlled over fifteen hundred floods with our dam system, and that was an amazing thing. So. Yeah, the dam system really changed everything for this. The, the Miami Valley Conservatory District really kind of changed everything. It did. It did. Back to Barney and Smith, that was the beginning of the end for them because they couldn't recover enough to be competitive in the market. And that oh, the co- people that lived in the colony mm-hmm. were not too unhappy to <laughs> be able to tear down the wooden walls to make rafts. To help the people out. So that was the end of the wall. So they tore down the the wall to make rafts to save people and get them out of of danger. It's really interesting. From what you've read about it, does it seem that most of the people were, I know the two newspapers competed, but were most of the people uh, happy or were they kind of felt like they were trapped? I don't know know because that's kind of all they knew, I think. Uh Their job was important to them, so Mm -hmm. that was part of the job. But not everybody got to live in the colony, you know, because they needed a large working force. Not everybody got to live in there. And many, many of those folks' relatives are living in Old North Dayton today. Were there just men in the colony, or were there women in the colony? Were there families well, in the colony? Well, wives and such, yeah. Families, okay. yes. Whole families. Lots of pictures of the children playing out on the grounds. Yeah, normal family life. I'm sure there were, were a lot of bachelors also just Trying to kind working. of grifting around and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so you said they kind of became North Dayton people. We're talking the area near like Amber Rose and all that, right? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Um, that's an amazing neighborhood, our ethnic neighborhood, um, which has uh, Polish, Lithuanian, the Kossuth group, which was um, Hungarian mm-hmm. and German. We have uh, Turkish folks today. So that is a real ethnic neighborhood historically. How do you, how did the people in that neighborhood get on? Because you know you had like different people from different parts of the world and a lot of people back then like kind of stay with their own they did because the churches were the center of mm-hmm. it. There was Rosary, Holy Rosary, which was the German church. St. Stephen's was the Hungarian church, the Lithuanian Holy Cross. and um, So they kind of bonded together within the churches, but the neighborhoods intermarried and everybody became neighbors and um, lots of those folks still live there and their children too. Oh, that's crazy right there. Mm-hmm. Now, do you know anything about like Africa? Like there was apparently a, a they built helped build a there was a section of town called Africa, they called it. Yes. And I'm thinking Africa was east of Patterson Boulevard off of Third Street. Well, a large neighborhood of African American folks was on the east side and the churches and they worked they probably also helped in digging the ditch, okay, which was the canal, mm-hmm. which opened up transportation for us all the way down to Cincinnati to get goods and services up from Ohio River, but also from New York through St. Lawrence Seaway and down 
to Erie and down on down the canal to Dayton. See, what's amazing about it, because you think about that kind of stuff, and it's like, how did anybody do anything before 2000? You think they had, you know, like, you know, they didn't have this equipment or technology or anything else. Right. So when you say they built the uh, these these uh, r- these cars and they built these um, canals, they actually manpower and woman power actually built these things. Well, one of the interesting facts about Barney and Smith was it was started in 1849, mm-hmm. and that was two years before a railway came through Dayton. So what they had to do is ship their railway cars on the canal by canal boat down to Cincinnati and then either on farther down by barge or canal boats or um, hook up to the railway track there and take them to market or to whoever ordered So they didn't have a train train system themselves? No, not then. Not till 1851. Huh. Trains then came through Dayton. And why did they even start building? Like, wh- how did it come to them that you even know, like, how it came to them to even build trains? Like, how do you think in Dayton, Ohio, a place with no tra- railroad tracks? This is what happened. Barney and a gentleman named Ebenezer Thresher. I love who, that name, Ebenezer. Ebenezer <laughs> Thresher. They became partners to form this this business called Barney. Well, eventually it became Barney and Smith with Preserved Smith later. Barney and Thresher. And they um, they sent Mr. Thresher back to the east to see what's hot on the market. What should we be doing to be innovative? And Mr. Thresher came back and said, we need to build railway cars. Ding, 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 right? <laughs> <laughs> so they did. They I think they invested about $10,000 in the company. And the first year, they only produced two freight cars. But... Um, things progressed, and uh, Pullman uh, bought one of the Barney and Smith cars to experiment with to make fine, beautiful, elegant railway cars. So for 25 cents, you could ride the rail lines in an elegant Barney and Smith car on your trip to Toledo or wherever. Mm-hmm. That's an extra, I mean, going first class. And Pullman was like, Pullman cars is what we're talking about. Yes, like and Pullman car, that one is the one people think of as mm. elegant, beautiful, the, the golden age of the railroad. That was that whole era. The way that Barney and Smith got more work is the Civil War contributed to that. The Civil War demanded that we needed more rail cars to get supplies to the soldiers and goods and services back and forth so that was a boon to the rail companies huh interesting Mm -hmm. so i love love to also like the spooky stories too yeah so you got any favorite you got a favorite spooky story at all i do amelia i have a story that i love i found it typed up in a a notebook hidden in the dayton room years ago okay and i thought i already spooky yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's called the Phantom Driver of Englewood Dam. And there was a truck driver in 1952 who came into an inn at the west end of Englewood Dam, which would have been right about Main Street when you're going up to Englewood. And there was an inn there, and he stopped for coffee and, and something to eat, not to stay the night, but Folks could stay the night there, too, and his name is Roy Fitzwater. And he um, came in very in a very nervous condition. He was shaking. He was just 
he wouldn't talk to anybody. And when people asked what was wrong, he said, it's, it's something that I can't even talk about. And it, I just want to tell you it's horrible. It was horrible. So he left and went on to St. Louis. In between the time he came through here and the next time he came through here, about three other people were in the same condition. And there was a patrolman in there, Patrolman Harold, and he asked these people to tell him what happened, and none of them would talk about it. They would say, you wouldn't even believe me if I told you. Okay. So um, when Roy Fitzwater came back in, he found out from Patrolman Harold that other people had experienced something that made them in the same nervous, collapsible condition that he was in. And, uh, and the patrolman wanted to know what the story was. Roy had this to say. He said that just as I get to about the middle of the dam, I see a car turn in to the west end and come straight at me with blinding lights, just as if he intended to hit me. I push on my brakes and try to swerve, knowing that I must use the utmost care. At least I go through the barrier and down the dam. But when the car gets about 200 feet away, the lights go out. And inside the car is an eerie blue-green light okay. and the skeleton of a man and the skull of a man. Oh, okay. I just got and chills. <laughs> that sends chills, and then it disappeared from sight. So that's when he drove on in and went into the, um, to the inn. So he said... Now that I know that others have experienced the same thing I have, I know I'm not crazy, and I can now deal with this. Oh, that is creepy. Like, it's, the whole thing is creepy. The build of it, it was yeah, really creepy. it is, because so next time you drive over Englewood Dam at night, you want to make sure that no blinding lights are coming at oh, you. Oh, creepy. Yeah. So did other people report the same thing, or was it just him? Did they, it was the same? Other people, other truck drivers. It seemed to happen to truck drivers. Okay. And um, they were all coming from the east, going to the west with their delivery on Route 40, which is Inglewood Dam is part of Route 40. What, what year did he um, report that happening? 1952. Oh, wow. So any other reports since then, or has it kind of died down? Since I haven't heard a word, but um, you never you know. Never Maybe know. they were probably too, too creeped out to actually say anything else about it. Yep, yep. And um, the um, Randolph Township Historical Society, which is the Englewood area, they also know about this story and have told it many times. So do they have, like, a theory about what it was or who it was, this ghostly figure? Not a, not a theory at all. Oh, Just wow. Watch out, Watch basically. Out. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you wouldn't trust yourself not to go over the side because here's this car that's going to hit you, either that or, and so you wonder, was that meant to try to make someone? Go over the side. That is so creepy. Yeah. I hate it. <laughs> but I'm a big chicken anyway like that, yeah. Thanks. How'd you get involved with this whole, like, did you go to school to be a librarian? or I did didn't. You? I went to school to be a teacher, but... When I was a senior, I decided I loved the library classes, so that's what I wanted to be, a school librarian. It was just at the time that all those programs were being cut out. So I went to Dayton Public Library, 
and um, Dayton and Montgomery County Public mm-hmm. Library at the time and applied for a job. And I was hired in the children's room as a children's librarian. That was a lot of fun, a lot of fun working with children and their books. And then I later became a regular reference librarian. I was assisting with writing history question answers to correspondence because we got a lot of correspondence then. Mm-hmm. It was pre-computers. So Yeah, you could just call up the librarian and right. you are the computer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're the computer. And again, we know where to find the answer. When the Dayton librarian got a promotion, I asked if I could apply for that job. And it was frowned upon because they wanted someone who could do that job who they thought was you know, going to be a better librarian. Finally, they decided to give me the job. And I, in 1986, I became the Dayton librarian and rare books as well. And um, I've loved every minute of it. It's so much fun. I wasn't even a history major. I was an education major. Yeah, love it. And it's very fulfilling. Lots of fun. And I can tell you love your job. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, well, thanks a lot for coming in here and talking to me. I'm, I know people are going to enjoy hearing your stories. Thank you, Amelia. It's really Dayton stories. So they thanks. are Dayton stories. And if you want to have more information, you can always check out Nancy in the local history room. That's correct. <laughs> Down at the main library on the second floor. It's like I always say, if you want to know something, ask the librarian. Be sure to visit Nancy at the Dayton Metro Library. Reading is fundamental and our history is alive. Thanks a lot for listening in to the What Had Happened Was podcast. Until next time, see you later, alligators. See what I did there? I brought it back too early when we were talking about the alligators. Okay, crocodiles. Bye-bye.